Hello everyone and welcome to the Questioning Pornography podcast. This is your host Lily and today I'm very grateful to have with me Francesca Palazzolo. Francesca, welcome. Thank you, Lily. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Francesca is an addiction counsellor and psychotherapist from Melbourne, Australia, and she has also published peer-reviewed research on some of the harms that consumers of pornography can suffer, and she did that for her master's degree. And actually, the way we got connected was I did a research highlight episode some weeks ago on the study Francesca published, and due to my sloppiness, she was obliged to correct a mistaken criticism I'd made about her study. So Francesca, thanks so much for being gracious about that and not holding it against me and still being willing to come on here to chat. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. Not a problem. All right. Well, so Francesca, we have a lot of things on the agenda that of things we'd like to talk about today. And I definitely want to give you a chance to talk about uh, your front lines experience counseling people with porn addiction. But as we just mentioned the study that you did, why don't we start out with that? So some of our listeners will already be a little bit familiar with your study from the research highlight episode I did, but are there any gaps you'd like to fill in or things you'd want to say, which I didn't really cover that you learned through conducting the research for that paper? Um, I guess I just, uh, I think you did a really good job of unpacking the uh, the results of the study and I think that's what I really wanted to highlight. There was so many good responses that I got and it was really hard when it came down to picking, you know, a few to, to include into the final study because there was just so much rich data and I was really blown away by how honest and how vulnerable some of the participants were in their answers so so yeah I think um it was quite overwhelming actually all the information that I um had to with the help of my supervisor you know sift through and analyze and and thematically analyze and it um there was just so much there to choose from so um yeah I think you I think you did a great job there of of highlighting some of the the answers um, I did a lot of research, background research on internet pornography before I did my study. So I did quite an extensive literature review on the topic as well. So I thought that um, was something that you, uh, you, you you mainly focused on the results, but um, there was, yeah, because it's, you know, but so, yeah, there was a lot there that I found quite interesting as I looked into the topic further and deeper I realized that there was I didn't realize in in the beginning but but I soon realized that there was so much controversy um, around the research so that was interesting as well I don't know if you wanted to talk about that yeah absolutely would you like to talk about uh, the things you learned through doing your literature review okay so I started doing more research, looking into it, because I didn't really know that much about it at the time, and that's when I stumbled across the Your Brain on Porn website, and I was just reading and reading and reading, because there's quite a lot of information on that website, and then I watched Gary Wilson's TED Talk video, and then I started looking into the actual uh, well, he has a lot of re- uh, research papers uploaded on that website and that, and then I started reading through some of those. 
So that's how I became interested in it. And then I started reading articles online saying things like there's no such thing as porn addiction or sex addiction. They sometimes lump those two things in together, sex and porn addiction. I think they're related, but personally I think porn pornography addiction is its own, I think it should be its own diagnosis. There's certain, I think there are certain crossovers, but in terms of um, how it's presented and how people um, be, can become addicted to internet porn, I think it's probably much more prevalent than, than sex addiction, simply because it's so accessible. Cool. That's very similar, actually, to how I became interested in researching, not researching as in designing research, but reading the research on on this topic. I also stumbled on the research page from the brain uh, from the website Your Brain on Porn and just saw the cascades of studies that were proving pornography's harmful effects. Uh, so definitely to our listeners, check that out if you just want to see the magnitude of the research that's available on this topic. Um, so... You mentioned to me also that you were noticing a lot of pushback that research of that kind was getting, research that showed the harms of porn. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, when I when you say a lot of pushback, I noticed that there were a few, it's mainly in, in, in media like websites like Huffington Post or Psychology Today, not so much in the actual research. And most of those articles that I read tended to cite just a couple of studies. Um, And they were the online articles such as your porn addiction isn't real, your brain on porn, it's not addictive, there's no such thing as porn addiction, says new research. Uh, New research suggests porn is not an addiction. There's quite quite a few and I, I say I read through all of them. But then I noticed that they tended to cite just a couple of studies, in particular a 2015 study by Nicole Prouse, Steele et al., um, where they claimed to have de- debunked the porn addiction myth. But when I actually did my own literature review, I probably focused on the four main literature reviews that were available at the time three out of the four supported the addiction model if you want to if you want to talk about it as a as a model but then in the end when I when it came to to doing my study I I found it interesting that there was so much controversy about whether or not to call it a porn addiction or not a or you know not an addiction but you don't get that in substance use circles as much. If someone comes in, yeah, if someone comes in who has a problem with alcohol, for example, no one, they don't get questioned as much. Or you don't really have an alcohol problem, you just think you do. So I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to return to that question a little bit about, you know, the controversy over the porn addiction. But first, just before we... Uh, lose this thread do you want to talk about um those few studies that are usually cited to kind of 
debunk porn addiction. I know uh, the Nicole Prowse 2015 one is definitely the common one. And, and that, that's what I found as well, is they always refer to those few studies. Did you, did you have any thoughts you want to share on why you don't find those particular studies that are referred to to be kind of the gold standard, to be very reliable or? Well, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I don't, um, I don't pertain to um, understand all the, the talk about, what's the title? The, t- the title of the, um, of the uh, study also sounds very fancy, very technical. Modulation of late positive potentials by sexual images in problem users and controls inconsistent with, in quotation marks, porn addiction. So it's quite, it's, it's quite obtuse in a way. The, there's been quite a few much more qualified people than me who've, who've written, re, re, who, who, who've um, critis, critiqued this particular study, such as Donald Hilton. <clears throat> yeah, there's been um, quite a few. There's been the one by Donald Hilton, High Desire or Merely an Addiction. And there's one by Valerie Byrne who did that Cambridge study where they they did scans of people's brains who were active porn users and uh, compared them with non-users and cocaine users and there were similar parts of the brain were similar to cocaine users. So there's been quite a lot of other research that has highlighted the similarity between from a neurological point of view between the brains of porn users and substance users. Yeah, absolutely. And that's certainly one thing that's wrong with always citing that Nicole Prowse study as uh, single-handedly debunking the porn addiction model is that it's ignoring the weight of the evidence, which certainly is in support of porn addiction. And then we could also look at Nicole Prowse's study itself and you have, as you mentioned, there have been many peer-reviewed papers which have since critiqued it and said that it was very problematic, both for methodological flaws and then also um, because their results actually supported the porn addiction model, although they said that they debunked it. And the reason why that is, is because Nicole Prowse said that the fact that her participants who were heavy porn users showed less brain activity in response to the pornography, she said that disproves porn addiction. But it actually does the opposite because what what all these different people who are publishing critiques are saying is that proves desensitization. And we've talked about desensitization in previous podcast episodes, but as a brief reminder, desensitization is essentially when the heavy addict, the heavy porn addict's brain uh, kind of becomes numbed to the stimuli of pornography such that they it, it no longer suffices to get them aroused the way they used to and they consequently need to seek out more and more extreme forms of that stimuli. And so the fact that these porn users' brains were exhibiting less response to kind of vanilla porn, you know, that was used in the study, more likely shows that their brain had become numbed and they needed a more extreme type of pornography in order to to exhibit the same brain activity that someone who wasn't addicted to porn would exhibit in 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 the face of of that stimuli. Again, I can I can link a web page that explains all that in much more detail for our listeners who are interested. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Francesca, for your thoughts on that. Now, why don't we return to the question we'd left behind a moment ago about whether or not to even call it an addiction. So we talked about how a lot of the research 
supports the addiction model. What What is your opinion? Do you think that in clinical practice we should be calling it porn addiction? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think personally it's, it's semantics because even in the substance, alcohol and other drugs sector, we don't talk about addiction. The word addiction is kind of... I guess you could say non-kosher. To it, it, it's people's clients still come in and say, "I think I'm addicted to alcohol. I think I'm addicted to heroin," and they speak that language. But in clinical settings, we usually say alcohol use disorder uh, or cocaine use disorder, or it, it, that's how it's spoken of. So the word addiction itself, it's not used that frequently. I personally think the word, I think I wrote an article about why is the word addiction so controversial because it is, it seems to, it's, it's seems to be the easiest way to describe, I think, a set of behaviours that are similar and it doesn't seem to matter what the, whether it's a substance or a behaviour like gambling or sex or, or porn addiction or, or alcohol or, or co- cocaine or, or ice or whatever the, the, the drug or the substance is or the behaviour, there seems to be quite a, quite a lot more similarities that I can observe clinically anyway than differences in these behaviours. But they all, they all have their unique characteristics. They have their unique um, sort of... Uh, sort of, they, they may affect the brain in slightly different ways, but the systems are similar that I can that I can that I can sort of see clinically in the way it's presented. So that was my interest. It was more about how people experience this phenomenon, which, for for the sake of ease of expression, we just call it porn addiction. If there was to be a discussion discrete disorder or what we term porn addiction probably would call it something like internet pornography use disorder if if I think that would explain it because it is internet pornography specifically seems to be the substance that people use to to uh, either or for whatever reasons that they use it for whether it's to uh, relax or to distract themselves, all the same reasons that people use substances. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. And certainly if what you say in clinical settings is alcohol use disorder and cocaine use disorder, as you previously mentioned, then it would make sense to say internet pornography use disorder. But at the same time, as you previously mentioned, there is a greater pushback against people who self-identify as saying, I have a pornography addiction, versus against people who self-identify as saying, I have an alcohol addiction or a cocaine addiction. And um, kind of writing off those people's experiences, which you say in your clinical practice, you've observed they're very similar, their experiences to people with alcohol or cocaine addictions or use disorders. Writing off those experiences by saying pornography addiction doesn't exist, I don't think is helpful. So in that respect, I could see it being more important to just be careful about where this battle over semantics is leading us. On the one hand, yes, it's just semantics, but on the other hand, it can lead to people's experiences being written off and people not being taken seriously for treatment or, or 
or things like that. Anyway, thank you for sharing those thoughts. So why don't we jump into you telling us more about your experience of counseling people who do self-identify as having porn addiction? Do you want to just share what that was like when you first started seeing those kinds of clients and what you learned from those experiences? Okay. So the, the with the, the um, initial two clients that I um, encountered at the Youth Mental Health Service, I, in terms of working with them, it was, I remember speaking with one of my supervisors and no one really knew what what to do, what to do with these um, poor young so men at the time. This, this would have been 2015. 2015. Okay, okay. Yeah. So not much was known about it and and we and I, I was encouraged to um, that, you know, to be careful about calling it an addiction, even though that's what they were. They were one in particular was calling it an addiction and he was saying, I'm addicted. I can't stop. I can't I, I, I you know, the longest I can go without 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 it is a week. And he was really worried about his school performance. He was very academic. He was noticing that his grades were slipping. He wasn't able to, he wasn't going out as much. He wasn't, he, anytime his parents went home, he would, that's what he would do. He was aware that it was a problem. So uh, we just, in terms of working with him clinically at that time, I was, it, my role in that organisation was mainly assessment and brief intervention. So I referred him Sorry, to... Sorry, what intervention? Oh, brief intervention. So Do it's short... short uh, brief intervention is normally short-term counselling, so maybe one to four sessions, something like that, five sessions. Oh, okay, brief intervention makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, and if I use any acronyms that you don't understand, just pull me up because I personally hate you. acronyms, but I've become used to them. But I referred him to a clinical psychologist to continue. And as far as I knew, he was seeing that clinical psychologist for a while. So, um, so yeah, so it is, it, people do really struggle in, re, in, in recent experience. I, with clients who, uh, private clients, because in my, this is another reason why I did the research in my sector, the AOD sector, which is alcohol and other drugs. There's, if someone presents to the service and they claim that they have a, or they say that they have a porn addiction as their main presenting concern, we have to refer them to mental health services or generalist counselling or somewhere else. They don't, they don't come through the AOD stream unless they have a substance use issue. So it's very segmented. So I prefer to work more holistically. But do you want to um, talk about that holistic approach a little bit? Well, whether someone presents, this is in my private practice. In my role at, at work, I have certain model of care that I need to adhere to. 
But in my private practice, I, if a person presents with um, an addiction or a substance use problem or a mental health problem, depression or trauma, I tend to view, I don't, I don't just treat the one issue. I, I, I treat everything as a whole. Often I, I find that, that there's often some trauma history or some vulnerability in a person's childhood or, or early adolescence that tends to make them more vulnerable to substance use disorders or, or addictions. So Right, I and have you noted that... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 ask, go, ask away. Oh, I was going to say, have you noted that... Is that mainly for the substance use disorders or you're speaking about your experience with the people who self-identify as having porn addiction as well? Probably both. Both, okay. Most people I see don't just have one issue. They don't just have oh. a porn addiction. They may have or alcohol uh, use problem. They may watch too much. Um, they, much they, might, they may spend too much time on the internet and, and they may uh, be specifically spending a lot of time viewing pornography but they're also having trouble with their sleep cycle their relationships aren't really kicking off they don't have they're not really they're kind of isolated or they don't really engage much socially or they don't have much confidence they feel a lot of anxiety there's a lot of stuff that goes on with people who present to uh, counselling. So I guess what I try to do is unpack all that stuff and work on the presenting issue, what do they want to change, work on that, but then also start to maybe go deeper into perhaps maybe the reasons why those, those problems developed in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is for many of those issues that you mentioned, trouble sleeping, um, not being able to have successful relationships, anxiety, depression, a lot of those were themes in the study that you published. I remember reading about that. And my impression from going through your study was that the participants attributed those negative effects to their pornography use. So they weren't just co-occurring and unrelated, but they were saying that pornography actually caused some of those extra issues or at least exacerbated them. Uh, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, correctly. Yeah, and I found that interesting as well, especially because there's so much talk in the research of, well, which way does the causal direction run? You know, are people having these problems and they then turn to pornography to kind of self-medicate because of all these problems? Or is pornography influencing the development of these problems or exacerbating these problems at least? So at least if we're talking about the way those people suffering from problematic pornography use experience it, they were attributing the negative, the other negative effects in their lives to their pornography use. And that's not to say, of course, that people can't misunderstand the way causal directions run in their own lives, but if we can give them some credit for understanding their own experiences and having access to factors that would help them determine that, 
that that I found to be to be an interesting hint at at this question of which way does a causal direction run. Okay, well, we've covered the research, your experience, your clinical experience with patients. You also mentioned that you might be able to speak to some of pornography's negative effects on a personal level and that you had some vicarious experience of it through uh, a former partner. Did you want to speak to that a little bit now? Yeah, well, I had a, a former boyfriend who spoke about his particular struggles but at the time, I, I just brushed it off. So I, I, I think this was um, even before 2015, maybe 2012, something like that. I thought he was just being, um, what's the word? I, I, I told him that, to, that he was just being, it was just normal, don't worry about it. Didn't really realise the how, how much of an impact it had on his life. And I kind of feel bad about that now. So. I didn't really want to uh, talk about it. I just said, well, just don't do it. <laughs> I feel, yeah, the, I was just really, um, I just said, well, you know, I, I, it, didn't, it didn't bother me. I said, oh, no, it's fine. You know, that's just what guys do. Don't, don't worry about it so much. I don't think he, he tried to impress on me at the time that it was more than just, it, it was actually a, a problem. But I remember just brushing it off and, and, and it, I think it did impact our, our, our relationship because the intimacy wasn't great at the time. So, and it didn't, I wouldn't say it caused our relationship to to, to break down, but it, in retrospect, and this is all in retrospect, I think it probably did have an impact. You know. Yeah, so that, that to me, that that's, uh, and I, and I, I guess I, 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 I don't think, I think the awareness is, there's more awareness now, but I just wonder whether, uh, how many men struggle with this issue that they, and they feel like can't talk about it. And that's, to me, that's sad. It is sad. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of the reason why a lot of the people I know who are doing similar work as I am and starting to talk about the harms of pornography why they're motivated to do so because they want to destigmatize that conversation where people feel safe to come forward and say hey this has harmed me you know um so thank you for being part of that in your study that kind of gave a voice to problematic users of pornography all right well francesca thank you so much for all the thoughts you've expressed so far is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap up our conversation I think I just um, wanted to encourage anyone that's struggling with an issue like um, internet pornography use to to seek help for it and to, to know that help is out there, whether it's joining a group like um, Sexaholics Anonymous or Sex Addicts Anonymous, even though they are um, people think that they're for sex addicts they also there's quite a lot who go to those sort of meetings where porn is an issue as well so it's a bit of a mixture but there's a lot of support to be had in in those sorts of groups there's also smart recovery which is in australia and 
it's also in the US. I'm not sure whether they are in Canada. But if you go to smartrecovery.com, you, you can find online online meetings to, to zoom in. So it doesn't really matter where, where you are. Or seek help from a supportive counsellor or psychologist. I th- or someone that, talk to someone about it anyway. So I think it's important to, if you have a problem with something like like porn addiction or, or, or even a mental health problem that you think may be exasperated by viewing too much internet pornography, I, I, I just encourage people to, to seek some help for it or, or you know, seek support. People often think that they're alone in, in these sorts of struggles and that they, they, they don't, that they feel that they're the only ones, which they're not. I'm, Absolutely not. They're not. <laughs> Definitely not, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And I think one of the great things that's come from, as you mentioned, a little bit more awareness now about this issue is there have been more resources being developed for people specifically struggling with porn addiction. So maybe I'll link some of those resources in the show notes for our listeners, if that's something that uh, that you're wrestling with, because... Um, yeah, there's there's more there's so much more out there than I even knew prior to developing an interest in this topic and talking mm. about it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Francesca, for joining me today. I really appreciated the opportunity to connect with you, and yeah, just uh, thanks for the work you're doing as a counselor and also the great research you published. I definitely enjoyed reading through that. Thanks, Lee, and I just want to say I think it's great that you're doing this podcast. And yeah, I think it's really, um, I've, I've listened to a few episodes and I think, yeah, keep going. So good on you. Thank you. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah. It's just a little bit of a side passion project, you know, so, um, thanks for, thanks for your interest in it and your willingness to support it by coming on. Not a problem. Thank you. All right. Thank you to our listeners and I hope you all come back for future episodes and have a great day, everyone.